Hey, Hoopheads. Once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, J.J. Rivera, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Yeah, yeah. Let's get down to business and talk some Miami heat. Well, before we begin, Kenneth, you know I always start the show with this question. How you doing, man? Uh, lovely, J.J. I can't complain. Always glad to be here to talk some Miami heat ball with you, and especially being that the season is going, sort of, with the preseason, 4-0. Coming off of a huge win from the Sioux Falls All-Stars on Monday night against Charlotte as we are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, Exhibit 10, guys, major, major performance to come back. But uh, don't want to step on our toes too much uh, to answer the question. I'm lovely. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good as well. I'm doing, especially after seeing such a fantastic game last night. Remember, we're recording this on Tuesday, October 12th. So you might be hearing this. Not around Wednesday. So anyway, last night's game, let's discuss it. I think since it's the one that's most fresh in our minds, we got to discuss this one because this was just fantastic stuff all around. Tyler Hero did not play as well as he had been playing the previous three games. But Bam showed some incredible, and I mean incredible, things that you have been advocating for a lot. For during the off season, Kenneth, and I the even have to can't see my smile right now. They can't see it, but I promise you, you've never seen a smile as bigger. Even last night, I had to quote you because you have one of those famous quotes of yours, say, and I think you know the one that I mean. Say it. Go ahead. <laughs> They're too little, Bam. Too little. Too little, Bam. And it seems like Bam took that to heart. And boy, he was going to the cup. Oh man, I, this, this it was fantastic to see him do that. Only you know, and he addressed it in the post game. He says that Kyle is taking all away all of his assists. But hey, I would rather have Bam be a scorer and then having to than having him worry to about facilitating about other guys like he did most of last season. Now that you got a real point guard, you can do you can do more of of the scoring yourself there, Bam. And that's multiple prong, man. You look at the situation and, and, and to the post game last night, there was actually a Cal Laurie quote too, where they asked him, you know, basically, how are you getting so many assists? And he's like, guys are making shots. Um, so that's, you know, both sided, mm-hmm. dual sided. It's like, yeah, he allows Bam to be more of the guy we want him to be. But also you have to look at it, man. Those guys are finishing the opportunities, and that's what happens when you have another guy who could do the things that you have had to find yourself doing for this team in the past. And to another point, and I think Friday or Reed mentioned it, but either way, that duo mentioned it in the broadcast, Bam is allowed to play closer to the rim now because he's not counted on to do as much of the playmaking and facilitating with Kyle Laurie in there doing the things that he does, which only and inevitably will allow him to be more effective from an offensive perspective, because he's now closer to the rim more often than he has been. 
Um, and like you said, man, you saw that nobody can stop Bam when he has it made up in his mind that he's going to do what he's going to do. There were two possessions last night where he shot an air ball and then another possession where he got a good look and it rimmed in and rimmed out. Both yeah, I know the ones great, you're talking about. Exactly. I th- both were I think it was in the, in the third quarter it was, right? I think so, right at the beginning. But I want him taking those shots every time. Every single yeah. time. Because even on those, good stuff happened off of the misses. I love... I want to address something. I love the way... And I think I've, I have mentioned this before. I love the way that Kyle Lowry, he receives the ball. And he already knows where to go. There's not this... There's not this standing around that sometimes we saw last year with... And I don't want to bash Kendrick because Kendrick, Kendrick is a fine player. He's just not a, a point guard per se. Right. That like You said it. I'm glad you threw that in there. He's not a point guard, but go ahead. Yeah. And then you have a guy like Kyle Lowry who, as soon as he receives the ball, he already knows where to go. And that led to, to some P.J. Tucker corner threes, which he is making so far. And if he makes those at a decent clip, that... Uh, that makes us even more dangerous because we know that P.J. Tucker on the offensive end, he's just going to stand there in the corner and maybe grab some offensive rebounds and, and stuff. Absolutely. You want P.J. doing as less driving as possible, but you spoke to it, man, and it sounds so simple, but that's why I had to make sure that you included that part that Kendrick's not a point guard. Cal Lowry is a point guard. Plain and simple. He's a point guard. Um, so they already have a plan of attack with multiple plans of attack before they even catch the ball because everything they're doing is sizing the defense up either for their look or to get a good look for their teammates. And we saw all of it last night. We've seen the, to quote the words of Five Reasons Sports, the robust assist numbers um, throughout the preseason. But even last night, he showed you that thing that we also have talked about and that thing that's also going to bring immense value to the Miami Heat, that ability not only to create a play after, you know, getting in the right position, but to just pull up from wherever he is. And that's another thing that you saw with purpose, with intent, to speak to your notion of knowing where you're going practically before you get the ball. He already had the defense set up for his shots. All he had to do was take a side dribble and pull that sweet jumper up. And as we saw multiple times last night, it hit the bottom. So I agree, man. Yeah, I I, I mentioned this last night. I am absolutely loving how Kyle Lowry is running this team's offense. He's running it in such a beautiful manner. Guys are, are he's seemingly finding open guys every time. On the defensive end, he took a charge, which is the Kyle Lowry special on that end. I've never been a huge fan of charges, but that's a that's neither here nor there. When Kyle Lowry's on my team, when Kyle Lowry, I'm sorry, pause, pause, pause. How <laughs> are you a Heat fan and when, have never been a huge fan of charges, JJ? Explain. Tell the people how that's possible. Hey, when Kyle Lowry's on my team, I'm a fan of charges. But Duncan I've, I've Robinson a, averages a half charge a game. What do you mean? I he have takes a couple of charges per game. I have a complicated relationship with charges and blocks. And and I mean blocking fouls, uh, that's, I should say. because. So you say he's a baller, not a player. Oh, come on, man. Let's, let's, not, <laughs> let's, let's not bring that into this. I'm come sorry, on. not a, he's Any, a baller, not a hooper. <laughs> anyway, let's leave the charges and blocking foul discussion for another day. Because let's let's keep it positive. Right now, we're standing at 4-0. We're going to discuss the previous game 
of the preseason that we played, which was against the San Antonio Spurs in which we won. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. I mean, it's actually funny, though. You can stick with their similar discussion about Charlotte, and that's what we'll kind of do with that one, because though there's a lot to take from the San Antonio game from your young guy, especially Yurtsev and his performances and Tyler Hero, it was basically a showing for the young guys as the Miami Heat had most of their main guys sitting. Um, and to note Jimmy Butler, who hasn't played a ton throughout the preseason anyway, only that one game in Houston, but you don't mind that because Jimmy Butler plays so damn hard that you know he's going to get hurt at some point in the season. You hope not, but he plays hard, so he's going to inevitably do something to himself. That's just the way it goes with him. At this point, we unfortunately have to pencil him in to miss a couple games. Right, exactly. So you don't get mad at his absences, but the San Antonio game was basically just uh, a game for the young guys and Tyler Hero to show their stuff, and that's what they did. Um, You can make grand takeaways from that game, but the only key takeaway from that game is if they need to go in you know another direction injury be that exceptions whatever they have dealt down in that system and then you also love the fact that Tyler Hero was able to come out Tyler Hero and Max Struess you can't forget my my Max my guy Max Struess who you know even prior to the summer absolutely prior to the summer I was big on Max Struess and that only grew with his summer league performances and it's only continued to grow as we've gotten closer to the season but you give him some love and his ability and Tyler Hero's ability and your son's ability to make sure that the Miami Heat came out and got a W. Preseason, nonetheless, against the Spurs' main guys for most of the time without their main guys, um, that would be the big takeaway from the Spurs game. And then not go too much because I want you to get a word in here, JJ. But that's also, for me, the big takeaway from the Charlotte game because late in the second half, a lot in the fourth quarter, Coach Spo basically decided that he was going to pull his starters and let his young guys get the work in. Uh, and at one point in the game, with about three minutes or so left, the Miami Heat found themselves down 12. And yeah. the young guys, Marcus Garrett, Javante Smart, Yurtsevin, Micah Potter, uh, and the other Stewart, um, they were the guys that came back from 12 down to win the game against Charlotte last night. And I think that's the theme you take from both the end of the Charlotte game and the San Antonio game for the most part. Um, is that the young guys were able to come through, make big plays for the Heat, and show you that if somebody does get hurt, as we alluded to, nobody can fill in for Jimmy Butler and what he's done for us. Become one of the best playmakers in the league and the best version of himself as a playmaker since arriving to Miami. So nobody can account for what he gives us in all facets and phases of the game with his multipleness and his just do-anything mentality. But it gives you confidence that if somebody gets hurt and you have to go to some depth, there is some talent in the pipeline, and as far as the future goes, you're good. The only disparaging thing will be whereas Tyler Hero got his stuff off against San Antonio, he struggled a bit against Charlotte. But that's also some stuff that we're going to get to with the further uh, further down the line about the rotation that you love from these games. But that's my takeaway from those two games. What say you, my friend? I think, listen, we were, Tyler Hero has been leading the NBA in scoring during the preseason. This is a fact. So, Again, maybe, I don't know if it was expected, but he, he was due for a letdown game, wasn't he? Unless he, if he kept on this, this pace, then we were talking some, we we're talking some serious oh, you talk, stuff absolutely. here. Absolutely. You're talking maybe an all-star appearance at this pace. Again, it's preseason, but if he plays every game like that, he's an all-star. And not that I'm saying he will do that or is that. I'm speaking to your point of he's only human. He's bound to have an off night and you knew it would come at some point. Yeah. So, again... It's the it's the preseason, and he has looked fantastic so far. I'm not gonna put too much stock in one game, 
I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So anyway, for the Spurs game, they played a lot of their start. I, I admit I didn't watch a whole lot of that game. They were playing their starters, but we didn't have neither of our three main guys. We didn't have Bam, Kyle, or Jimmy. As we predicted in last week's pot, since it was the second leg of a back-to-back, we didn't expect any of those guys to see the floor, understandably so. But still, it was a showcase for our young guys once again, as it was last night. I'm really encouraged with Yurtseven's skill level that he has shown. He, again, he showed some of that in Sacramento, in the excuse me, in the, in the summer league when he tore it up. But he keeps showing some of that offensive skill. Of course, the defensive is still a work in progress, as we have mentioned multiple times. But still, great game by the, from those guys. And I want to mention some uh, a Bam and a Bio quote. It was posted on Twitter. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here. He said that he basically told the young guys to always believe that they can win the game, no matter what. And it seems like they took that advice to heart. And that's what they did. They went out and pulled a rabbit out of a hat and they got the W with highlighted by the exclamation point Javante Smart it was right driving it was it was a frantic possession the ball was on the floor a lot the guys were diving and then all of a sudden Smart comes up with it and he drives it to the rim and he gets the layup he hunted for that moment in the last two minutes of the game he hunted for that moment and you could see it happening uh, there were several occasions where you saw Javante kind of like size this guy up. Am I going to take this shot right now? Am I going to take this shot right now? And then he made the right pass. He found Garrett. They ran a little offense, and eventually Smart got the ball back. He took the distance shot. It didn't go. And then the guys hustled and, you know, scrambled around. Like you said, the ball ended up on the floor. Uh, Javante Smart ended up having to dive, kick it to another guy who ended up finally getting it back out to the perimeter, which eventually found Smart again. And like I said, man, you could see it in his posture that he had been hunting that moment for the last minute or so when they had pulled close. And he drove it to the rim hard, made his mind up that he was going to get a good look. And not only did he get a good look to finish, but he got a good look to take the lead. Yeah. So, before we move on to our other points that we want to touch on, how impressed have you been with Caleb Martin this this preseason? He's a two-way guy, a two-way contract, I should say. I have been pretty impressed with him. He has looked like a like a guy that could give you a, not many minutes, but a couple minutes there in some nights where you might need them. And he can give you a bit of quality minutes on the defensive end. And offensively, a bit of a work in progress. The handle, as you mentioned on Twitter, still a, a bit suspect. But I've been really encouraged with what he's shown during the preseason. What say you? I totally agree with you, man. And speaking towards that Spurs game and Martin just for a second, he didn't play there, but they only had eight players available. Stewart, Michael Potter, uh, Smart, Javante Smart, Tyler Harrell, Max Struess, Yersevin, Morris, and Robinson. Uh, just to kind of cover our bases there. Uh, not a lot of guys, so that win was impressive. But speaking of impressive, when you look at Martin, you knew, and this sounds like cocky Heat fan, and it lives a little bit. You knew when they brought him in that they saw something. Cocky Heat fan is always welcome. Absolutely. If you watch, if you've watched Martin from his time with the Hornets and even back to his time in Vegas in college, um, it was, it was no Nevada. Sorry about that. Back in Nevada at college, 
um, you knew that he was the type of guy who necessarily, who didn't necessarily need the ball to be his best self, which was encouraging when coming into the Miami Heat because you know that they value guys who can impact winning and don't necessarily need the ball. So you knew all of that, again, and that's the cocky Heat fan of it all. What I will say has been a new discovery, though, is the fact that not only does he impact the game in all ways without the ball, but with the ball, he can probably impact the game because he showed you something in that very first preseason game where he kind of jumped onto the scene. He can do a little bit of everything. And the reason that you question that handle or need him to tighten that handle up is because he's shown you ability to initiate and ability to be a ball handler when need be and things like that. And like you said, even if not for a ton of minutes, there may be a moment late in the season or dare I say even early in the playoffs where you need a guy to come in and be a joke or spark plug for six or seven minutes. And I think he's very capable of that. So to get a guy like that on a two-way contract, again, as the broadcast alluded to last night, that would be Reed and Crotty. To get a guy like that on a two-way contract, uh, it's a no-lose situation. Because he's shown you enough hey. to be an end of the bench guy. <laughs> love the love the your use of the word situation there, especially when it comes to Crotty. Absolutely, you know they own Crotty. <laughs> his 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 use of the word situation is a boy. <laughs> yeah, hey, I would have called it on. I think it's funny. Anyway, I have also. I think we touch on Caleb Martin there pretty extensively. So let's move on to another point. The Heat broadcast last night. Eric Reed and John Crotty mentioned that Duncan Robinson is a top four shooter in the league. Now I will agree with them. I will make a disclaimer here and say that he, he is top four and he is not number four right now. What do you say, Kenneth? I would have to agree with you. I mean, specifically when you look at uh, the shooters, uh, if you rank them in the league, you know, or if you, you have certain parameters that you go by, which we'll get into in a second here, it's like pulling hairs with certain guys or that number four specifically. I think that the guy at the top of the list, we're going to, you know, unanimously agree there. And we might even unanimously agree on two. But I think that's where you get sticky. But I don't think I put him at four either. Yeah, I would have him that's it all depends on listen are we bumping Clay Thompson off the of the list given that he's missed two seasons now I think that has to be kind of like an i it's not like if you're talking about a grading system it's not an a b c d e or i'm sorry a b c d or f it's an i it's an incomplete you have to imagine that if he had played over the last two seasons he'd be in your top 5 6 minimally but I don't think for these purposes, because we haven't seen him in two years, we include him here. And that's only so, to be yeah. fair. That's what I was thinking. For this exercise, we are going to exclude Clay Thompson because he has missed two straight years of NBA basketball. And number two, those two injuries, they take a toll on you. And I don't know why people sometimes are, like seeing some people assume and pencil in the Warriors as a great team when he comes back, there's no telling how he'll look like when he comes back. It might take him a long while because he had two very serious lower leg injuries that affect perimeter players in pretty big ways. And 
you know, listen, Clay's not a guy that relies a lot on on athleticism and speed, but he still relies a lot on off the ball movement. And we have to see how he responds to that. And his jump shot your jump shot obviously uses better you need to use your legs for jump shooting and stuff. And and well, listen, I'm not I'm not gonna get here into into all that type of stuff. He he's an NBA player, I'm not and and not even an NBA coach. But still, there's just some things that you gotta take into account. So without I let me to touch a bit there, I do agree with you, but I think that's to both sides. Yeah, you have a lot of movement without the ball and all of that jazz. However, when you're talking movement without the ball, you're talking the movement with the least resistance, I would say. It's not non-existent. There isn't a situation in the league where nobody's resisting you because there's going to be somebody running with you trying to keep you from getting to your spots, and especially if you're Clay Thompson anyway. But as opposed to like a man-on-man situation or an ISO situation or a situation where he might be responsible for trying to create his own shot, I don't think there's as much pressure or as much intense Hmm, intense usage of those lower legs or, you know, those injured areas as there would be in another person's game, say Russell Westbrook or even John Morant. Now, I do agree there is some impact with his movement overall, which will impact his ability to move off the ball. And I do agree that there's a lot of legs and jump shot. However, we're also talking about a guy who, you know, notoriously doesn't use a ton of legs and jump shot. I think they've actually covered how his, you know, he doesn't jump a he doesn't jump really high when he shoots his jump shot. And then you're also talking about a guy who scores 60 on 11 dribbles. I'm just saying. Yeah. But again, those two injuries that he suffered. And I wish he come, he would come back and be the same type of player that he was. Because, granted, he was fantastic. He was an incredible player. Absolutely. So... I think we're meeting. I think we're meeting in the middle there. I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying he won't. I'm saying if there's anybody... Because of all the factors involved, the way he plays, the injuries he had, and the way he goes about getting it done, especially in this new NBA with the new technology and the new medicine and how guys are coming back from injuries that used to be career-threatening or changed them dramatically, I think that if there's anybody that has a chance to get back to being what he was or close to what he was specifically because of all of those factors, it's probably him. That's all I'm saying. Not saying he will absolutely or won't. So, Kenneth. Before we go down this list, should we should share our methodology and what type of criteria we use to separate the players first? Well, you go ahead. <laughs> sure, JJ, I will. Um, when we went to break down the list, the first thing we did was we took a general, you know, we went to a general tally of the stats. After that, we applied advanced stats or advanced filters, and we took the three-point attempts, and it had to be greater than or equal to 100 attempts. So anybody with less than 100 attempts last year, they didn't qualify in our rankings because in order to take or in order to consider yourself a quote-unquote three-point shooter, you're taking at least 100 attempts. Because and 100 over, attempts in this day and age, sorry to cut you nothing. off. It's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing. It's nothing because you have 82 games. In order to get to two attempts per game, you're talking about 164 attempts. So while we're really being generous and could have went to 175, we're doing 100 to kind of keep things fair. Also, the other advanced filter that we added will be an efficiency module, basically three-point percentage. Unless your three-point percentage is greater than 37%, 
we didn't include you because 33 to 36 is what I would call average. That's a guy that you can shoot the three and you don't mind. If you get that 35, 36, you're a little above average. And yeah, go ahead and shoot it. We, we have major confidence you're going to hit it, but you're still not elite. Anything below 33, you're not average. You're, you're teetering on bad and anything below 30, you're just not a good three-point shooter. So we did a value of 37% or greater for the percentage here. So when you come to look at our list, you'll see guys that have taken over 100 three-point shots last year and guys that shot those 100 three-point shots as an efficiency of 37% or better. And that's how we came to our list. And now we can start naming those lists. Your turn, JJ. Absolutely. So number one, we touched already on it. Greatest shooter to have ever grace an NBA court. I think it should be, I think it should be no surprise that number one is Stephen Curry. I mean. No argument here. He had an incredible season last year, 800 attempt, 801 three-point attempts, and he shot 42%, and that's just ridiculous. And when you factor in, like, you can look at the numbers, but then when you factor in the games, when you look at the difficulty of those shots, the types of shots that he takes, that's just absurd, really. Obviously and that's not. Chalk. And that's chalk, because that's what the list, that's who the list has ranked at number one, as you mentioned. I mean, 337 makes of 800 attempts. And don't get me wrong, looking at it from the outside, looking in, you're like, wait a minute, that's not a lot. Uh, no, when you look at the percentage, it's 42.1% of those shots made. It's just crazy. Yeah. Greatest shooter to have ever lived, I think it's not particularly close right in, right now. So, And he's such a great shooter. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. He's such a great shooter that he's approaching greatest point guard in history territory. And that's specifically based off his prolificness as a shooter from that position. You have to realize that. Yeah. He's incredible. Incredible player. At number two, we're going to share our, our top four because for, this, for the sake of following the the Karate and Reed argument. We're gonna are you giving share your our... number two or are you giving the list number two? Well... I'm going to give my list number two, and then we'll run down the, the list number two. The actual Sound list. Sound fair? Okay. Sound fair. My number two is not the same number two guy on the list. And I know the number two guy on the list is still an incredible shooter. But I do have Damian Lillard at number two. One, because shot the same percentage as Buddy Heald, who is the number two guy in the list that was compiled here. And he took 17 less three-point attempts than him. And he shot the same percentage. And when you look at the when you look at the types of shots that Damian Lillard takes, he's same as Steph Curry, obviously not as prolific not nearly as prolific as Stephen Curry, but still incredibly skilled and a historic shooter as well. This is a guy that can as soon as he crosses half court, he can kill you. So with that Logo being said, Lillard isn't a play play thing. It's for real. Exactly. So, 275 makes on 704 three-point attempts last season, giving him a 39.1% from three, which is exactly the same as Buddy Heald. And I, what has, what more can we say that hasn't been said? It hasn't been said. I'm taking into account here the fact that Damian takes more difficult shots and the degree the, of difficulty. It, absolutely, is the primary focus of his team's offense. Buddy Heal is a great player. It's it's an excellent player. But the focus of the Kings offense obviously is the Aaron Fox. 
Right. Buddy Hills know Damian Lillard or Steph Curry is what you're saying. Exactly. And De'Aaron Fox takes a lot, and I mean a lot of pressure off of Buddy Heald. And we have, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, De'Aaron Fox had one of, if not the best finishing season for a point guard, I will say, of all time. He was converting at a ridiculous rate at the rim. So when you have that type of downhill threat, that's going to open up other avenues for you to score for your teammates specifically. Well, thank so, you for blowing up my case, JJ, because you just did it. <laughs> well, Rogue, go right ahead. I mean, our lists are pretty much the same, man. The list, actual list, it goes Steph Curry, Buddy Hill at two, Damian Lillard at three, our guy Duncan Robinson at four, and Terry Rozier, oddly enough, at five. But he had a great shooting season last year. Let's give him a little highlight real quick. 38.9% on 571 attempts. Um, great honorable mention, but he doesn't crack the top four here. So yeah, definitely. Me and JJ scary agree. Terry, scary Terry getting should get his recognition. Oh, definitely. He shot the ball really well last year, and you didn't think he could shoot the ball that well. That was the knock on him leaving Boston and with Charlotte, you know, giving them the deal or whatever. But he he's proving to people that he can indeed shoot the ball as a combo guard type. Now, how how crazy? Let me let me. Say something real quick. How Absolutely. crazy it is that we all thought that Charlotte was dumb as hell for giving right. Terry Rozier all that money. That deal, right? And at the end of the day, it was Charlotte that won the deal. I mean, they- we're giving them a lot of love today, but I'm going to shout them out again. So Reed and Crotty mentioned that last night too, the whole Charlotte situation. And it makes you wonder, Charlotte probably did see the writing on the wall with Kemba's knee. And they knew that if he wasn't going to be able to give them at least 75 of the 82 games, that the investment they would have to make to keep him there, mind you, you can always sign your own, quote unquote, for way more money. The investment it was going to take to keep him there was too massive for the potential looking, of that knee. He was looking for super max money, right? Absolutely. He had been named All-NBA that season. So, yeah. Unfortunately, Kimba Kimba's a great guy. He seems like a great guy. $200 million or let him go. I mean, I think that was a pretty easy decision by them. Because it was going to be like one ninety and, 200 right? Yeah, something like that. And also, Kenneth, historically, point guards that are, you know, Chris Paul is the exception to the rule, but Chris Paul is an all-time great. But, but point and guards Chris with, Paul isn't your average little guy. Chris Paul has the toughness of a guy that's 6'8". That's the difference. And not that that's saying Kimba isn't that tough. That toughness not only manifests itself in Chris Paul's game, but even though he's been the victim of some of the most unfortunate circumstances, for a little guy especially, for a point guard especially, and especially across the time in the league he's played in, he's been rather durable. So what I was getting at was... You got a, a guy that's he I wanna say I wanna be generous and say he's six feet. Six feet one, around that. Five eleven, but we'll a guy that, Yeah. A guy that relies on quickness for his game and to have knee issues. And to top it off, he was about to be thirty years old. I you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, you know, would if we all had the benefit of hindsight at the moment then we all I mean, I would be an NBA GM probably. I think you also hit on something that speaks to that durability factor and also why Chris Paul has been able to sustain for as long as he has. And again, he's had some injuries in key 
and the most unfortunate moments. So yes, you can point to those, but if you look at it for the totality, Chris Paul has been there. Um, he doesn't rely on quickness, bro. He doesn't rely on things that will strain his body. And I'll give you two examples. You can not only look at Kimball Walker, but look at Derrick Rose. Look at the way they play the game and what makes them them. For Kimba, it's that irky-jerky crossover game. He could be in this spot and in that spot in less than a half a second. That takes a massive toll on your body. Similar thing for Derrick Rose, even though it wasn't as east and west as his irky-jerkiness was north and south because he could explode from the free throw line to within a step of the basket in a half a second. In that one leg, type, I should say. Right, exactly. That type of athletic athletic ability and that type of pressure on your joints, and especially, ironically enough, the knees for both of them, uh, it just isn't long because a body's not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. At least, Kim, at least Derek Rose was never the shooter that Kimba is. So Kimba's got that going for him. Hopefully, hopefully he does well with the Knicks. He he seems like, a, a as I mentioned before, he never read anything negative about Kimba. Everybody seems to love him. Seems like a oh, genuine no. guy. Yeah, he's always seemed like a good dude. And the smile, like you said, always seems genuine and, and, and like he really means it. Um, but of course, as we typically do, we went way off topic there. So we gave Terry Rozier his love. To look back at the list, as we mentioned, Stephen Curry is number one, Buddy Hill's number two, Damian Lillard's number three, Duncan Robinson's number four. Based on the NBA stats um, that came out with the advanced filters we placed in, again, three-point attempts, minimally 100, and three-point percentage, minimally 37%. For me, I agree with your list. Stephen Curry's one, Damian Lillard's two. Duncan Robinson clocks in at number three for me. And Buddy Hill's number four. I lean on the point that you were making degree of difficulty. Steph Curry and Damon Lillard take the toughest three-point shots in the NBA and potentially in NBA history simply because of the fact that they're shooting it from further out than anybody has ever shot it from. They're creating their own shot, and they are undoubtedly the focal points of their offenses. Now, when you look at Duncan Robinson, he doesn't create his own shot as much as those other guys do, and the shot's may not be as tough because you're not the fulcrum of the offense. However, his tough shot meter is way up there. He's not, you know, he's not afraid. This is the same guy that, this is the same guy that in one one game last season, he caught the ball in one motion and shot it. Oh, yeah. Never brought it down. Never brought it down. So, and that, try that, try that one, try that next time you're playing pickup. It's incredibly Absolutely. difficult to do. Absolutely. The degree of difficulty meter on Duncan is really high, too. Again, you just have to be respectful and, and understand that Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, they face – they're always the game plan. You know what I mean? And Duncan Robinson has grown to that. He's just not 1A like they are because you know more often than not somebody's going to have to get him the ball before he takes that shot. Whereas those guys are going to create the lane, create the look, create the space, take the shot – and often make the shot. That's the difference. Now, when I mentioned that you had blew up my argument earlier, that's why Buddy Hill would clock in at maybe four, five, or six for me, um, because the degree of difficulty on his shots, though he does take difficult shots as well, a lot of his shots are easier because they're of the traditional manner. When you have De'Aaron Fox driving in like a madman, collapsing defenses left and right, 
and he kicks it out to you and all you have to do is knock down an open shot or knock down the shot before the runout man gets to you and closes, that's an easier look compared to the looks that the other three guys get on the majority of times. Because as I've mentioned about Duncan Robinson, even if there's only one guy physically on him or within an arm's length of him, there are always two or three guys looking at him. Yeah. So I think we have this. Yeah, we have the same list. You mentioned Duncan Robinson at three, Buddy Hill at four. And I think what separates I, Duncan. I, I, from, said, I said Buddy maybe four, five, or six for me because looking at Scary Terry, yes, the volume isn't there as it is with Buddy. But when you look at how he gets it done, it's a little bit more Damian Lillard, Steph Curry than anybody else because Scary Terry is also one of those guys that creates it all for himself. Buddy Heal is less than a percentage point ahead of he's point zero zero two percentage points ahead of Terry Rozier in terms of in terms of three point it's percentage. It's the volume there, though. The volume is what I look at. Yeah. So. I will personally have Buddy Hill at number four. No disrespect to Scary Terry. I think what separates Duncan from Buddy, maybe, hey, maybe we're talking out of our butts here. I, I don't think I am, but hey, may, maybe some somebody from the Kings will will pro, will come oh, in. Oh, definitely. And, and There'll blast always us. be people who disagree. Like I expect to get roasted for the Terry Rogier over Buddy Hill take, but it's about how you get those looks just as well as knocking them down because we have guys throughout history james jones an example who could knock down an open look with his eyes closed right but then if you look at a guy like chris paul who probably isn't as good of a shooter as james jones he hits those shots in big moments which one are you going to value more and he creates right and he creates the look all by himself and this isn't a player on player because obviously we know chris paul is a valuable player but just that three-point ability, you value the guy who hits them in bigger moments, who creates them by himself, and who takes the more difficult ones than the guy who could sit in the corner and just hit a bunch of open ones. Also, I found it funny that you mentioned current Phoenix Suns GM James Jones and current Phoenix Suns point guard Chris Paul. Come on, so, man. I know what I'm doing. So, but I, what I wanted to get at with Duncan is his off-the-ball movement is only second to Stephen Curry, in my opinion. And Stephen Curry is up there with the all-time greats in terms of off-the-ball movement. You have mentioned it before. You would, I would rather, I would have Steph Curry over Ray Allen in that department. But yeah, that's Steph Curry is in that in that territory with with the Ray Allens, Reggie Miller, in terms of off-the-ball movement and the gravity that they can create. And Stephen Curry is number one to me in that department. But Duncan Robinson, when you see the value that he brings to this offense in terms of off-the-ball movement. It's so huge. That's why, again, I am so excited to see how this Heat offense works. Because when you have a guy like Kyle Lowry who is finding guys before they, before the defense even knows that they're going to be open, he's finding guys. And now add to that point a, a, a guy like Duncan Robinson who is an elite shooter, a top three shooter in this league, a guy that's had one of the greatest shooting seasons of all time when he, when he burst into the scene two years ago. Oh, you mean when you he shot nearly 45% on over eight attempts? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. You add that to this offense, and wow, man. Add to that, uh, add that to the, excuse me, add to that the component of Bam driving as aggressively as he has this preseason. And Jimmy will always get his, his shots at the rim 
with last he has shown, although we would like to see him at least expand a bit to the mid-range. But, hey, that's that's not part of the, of the conversation that I'm having here. Jimmy took a three against Houston. He took a three against Houston. He didn't make it, but he took it. <laughs> he took it, at least. But, again, having Kyle Lowry quarterback an offense with those type of guys around him, it just makes my brain explode. And, wow. Man, listen. Thursday if your brain's can't exploding, get imagine what Thursday can't, brain is doing. Yeah. Thursday's game can't get here soon enough. I, I, Thursday, October 21st, I should say. The game can't get here soon enough. I want this to start already. I want these games to count. But, yeah. I, oh, man. I should we? Can I say anything else other than, than what I have just said? I mean... I think you said it fine to me, man. Um, before we move on to our last topic to close here, let's talk about Thursday and Friday's game. As the last two games of the Heat preseason are back-to-back showings against the Hawks again, who they opened the preseason against, and then the Celtics, another team that every year has major expectations and tells us we're sleeping on their stars and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And, um, you know, how that goes. So we do have a matchup against them on hey, Friday. We, ha- we have given the, the Celtics our flowers before. We have. And I mean, I'm just saying, I get tired of hearing every year, are we sleeping on the Celtics core? Uh, come on, man, win something first. <laughs> well, I'm not sleeping on them. I have said before that I think they'll have a top five defense. I think this defense could be incredible this coming season. Right alongside us, the Heat, and maybe the Jazz. The Jazz always feel the good defense with when you got Rudy Gobert, you're, bound. you're supposed to feel a, an incredible defense. And I think the Bucks should be another another team that will be up there in terms of defense. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We have to see them play first. Let's talk about the next two preseason games, which are the last two. Atlanta Hawks, as you mentioned, on Thursday, and Boston Celtics on Friday. Do you th- how do you think the on Friday, because it's an, again another back to back. I think we'll see we'll Spo will probably try to have the three main guys trot out one game one more game and then he'll just shut them down for the rest of the preseason what do you think I agree I just don't know if we know which game that'll be uh being that they've played the Hawks already this preseason and though again Jimmy Butler didn't play a lot of the other main guys did well all of the other main guys did you don't know if he'll give them another look against the Hawks or if he'll just save that for the Celtics on Friday uh, and especially since they took off the back end of the last back-to-back, which was last Thursday and Friday, Houston and San Antonio. So he may give them off the front end this time and play them on the back end, especially since it's against a different opponent uh, in the Celtics. Again, since we played the Hawks already in this preseason. Now, there was something else we talked about pre-pod, which was Tyler Hero. And I know that I'll let you get into this, but just to kind of set up the conversation you asked whether you thought he'd get a break. Now, to answer that question, I don't think he'll be one of the guys getting a rest because, one, he's young. Two, these are the moments that he needs to see because these are the moments that allow him to tap into his main guy trait, which is what you need him to be for your second unit, and you might need him to be that sometimes during the regular season when a guy doesn't have it. So I don't think he'll get a rest because I think that you want him continuing to tap into that thing that he's tapped into for the 
early part of the preseason here. Hmm. I do think he might play both games, but I think one of those teams he'll probably play very little. He's racked up a lot of miles in this preseason. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. One of those games will be capped at around 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. He's he's gained a lot of miles this preseason. Impressed or a lot of folks. He may just cap them both at 15 to 20 minutes. Get them running both, but cap them both at 15 to 20. What if that's the case? Maybe. Uh, again, this is up to Spo. This is for Spo to decide. Best coach in the NBA, by the way. So... <clears throat> Clear your throat on that, JJ. Say it so the people in the back, as they say, can hear you. <laughs> Best coach in the NBA. So what I wanted to say was, you know, sometimes in the preseason you gotta be you you're always afraid of of what might happen. And again, it's the last two games, so you don't want you don't want to increase the risk of something bad happening. You know what I'm saying? You don't want a guy turning an ankle or twisting a knee. In, in, in a, on a drive to the basket. You know what I'm saying? You you want to limit the chances of that happening. So that's oh, no, why I totally I guess, agree. I totally agree. And that's why we haven't seen Jimmy. Yeah. And Jimmy, we've seen him once. And it was against Houston. And, you know, last night he was out with, uh, he had cold symptoms. So hopefully nothing major there. And he, I think, gets, Spo just practicing his excuse game for when he want to give him or Kyle <laughs> a break during the season. Yeah, that's probably one of those BS injury reports, or it's like, like, oh, um, I've got a bit of a headache. Well, don't worry, you're you're not gonna play. So, and we'll we'll make up something. And I don't, Jimmy's not built like that though, so maybe it was legitimate. Again, it's a preseason. I don't know how many times we have said that in the last two weeks, but whatever. So, Kenneth. Enough preseason. Let's talk about something that really impacts the Heat's title chances oh, and baby. Oh, the rest baby. of the of the top contenders overall in the NBA. Their ch- impacts their chances. Today, the oh my god, I almost said New Jersey Nets for some Stop reason. Stop teasing me, man, <laughs> and just say it. Kyrie's not playing. <laughs> Today, the Brooklyn Nets announced that they will not be integrating. Kyrie Irving as a part-time player. This is due to New York's vaccine mandate that requires New York residents to have at least one shot of the vaccine in order to play in in public. You know, in order to participate in in public. Um, what Let's is, use the right word. Public in order venues. to work, right? Yeah, and Barclays Center is considered a public venue, as I have it understood. As I understand it, right? Or maybe not a public venue, but a place where a lot of people get together and COVID, COVID can rampage through a place like that if he, if there are enough unvaccinated people. Yep. Basically, you can't work in New York unless you're vaccinated. It seems like the mandate is. And you know what? Okay, before um, this is, let's get to the opinion piece and then we get to the to the right, basketball of side. Course. I think they did the right thing. You don't want to have a guy like that. With, aside from the people that say, oh, the vaccine is a personal choice. But again, I strongly disagree with. We're in the middle of a pandemic. When you can affect other people with a choice you make, that stops being a personal decision. That's that's called being selfish, if you're being honest, because vaccines have been proven to save lives and they, are, they have been well-researched and... Yeah, let's just 
leave it at that. You, you, and before we go you, too far, because we're going to, you know, do the basketball together, I'll get my opinion take out on it so we can get this part out the way. Um, I do agree that it's a personal choice. Now, I do agree with your premise, though. That doesn't, because it's selfish and it seems like a, you know, slightly, uh, it seems like a slightly rude move. It doesn't make it any less of a personal choice. Uh, if you decide not to get the vaccine, that is on you. However, I do agree with you. There are a ton of other people out here that you could be help saving by getting the vaccine. However, back to the personal choice of it all, I think that any personal choice comes with ramifications and consequences or benefits or whatever on the other side of those choices. So by making the choice to not get vaccinated, he's also accepting the fact that he won't be work. He won't be working and he won't be paid and he won't be in a locker room with his teammates and all of that. So, again, I do feel like it's a personal choice and I do feel like it's a bit of brashness and rudeness tied up in there, because like you said, he's not just making it for him, but he's making it for all of the people that he could potentially be around or put in harm's way by not having it. But you have to accept the consequences that come on the other side of that, regardless of what your decision may be. Yeah. And again, it would be too much of a imagine being a, a team and you have to keep in mind, oh, Kyrie can play this game, but he can't play the other game. And it, oh, that'll be such a hassle. And by the way, he's going to lose money on this. But hey, we're not going to watch another man's pockets. Let's talk about the basketball side of this. I feel like without Kyrie, Brooklyn is still a top-tier contender, but not the sure thing that I saw them, but not as sure of a thing as I had them coming out of the East. I think the Bucs beat them if they ever face off again. If they, if, that's if, and it looks like it, Kyrie doesn't get vaccinated. I would even give us the Heat a really good ch chance of beating the Brooklyn Nets as they're currently constructed. Katie and Harden, an incredible combo still offensively. That's still the, the best one-two punch in the NBA. But what made this team so special was having not one, not two, but three of those type of guys that are hyper-efficient and are incredible shot makers. So when you lose one of those guys, your entire team is constructed under the principle that those three guys will take you home and listen the nets are it's not like they're they don't have a balanced out roster they still have a pretty good roster but when you go up against some, the milwaukee's of the world and even the heat that's teams that were built in some ways to contain you and now you made that job easier for them that really puts you in a precarious situation and i know kevin durant is the best player in the world He had to give everything, and I mean everything, for the Nets to have a chance last year. That was with a hobble James Harden, a Harden that was frankly on one leg, and I don't know why they let him play, and without Kyrie Irving. So, yeah, I think the Nets might be in trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks or the Heat come out of the East. That I think their, their chances went way up. What say you, Kenneth? Well, from the start, man, you know I've been a bit more optimistic than most, and people will call it heat bias. But, again, if we suck, we suck. And if we're good, we're good. I'm the guy that'll say that, regardless of whether I support them or whether they're my team or not. I thought that our chances to come out of the East were just as great before he, you know, 
before this situation was fully announced one way or another. Not just as great as they are now, but I still thought that we had a good chance to come out of the East then. I don't think Brooklyn or Milwaukee is as far ahead of us as most people tend to think. I think that Brooklyn has to get through the regular season healthy. They didn't play a ton of games together last season, so they really have to show us a complete cohesiveness this year that they haven't been able to show because they haven't had all the guys in there together. And then you look at Milwaukee, and Giannis is still dealing with that knee situation. I mentioned this several times. Who are we to say that they're not going to coast after winning the NBA title, which is something that we often see happen? So it's, again, one of those Clay Thompson situations. I can't say for certain that it will. I can't say for certain that it won't. But there's a strong chance that it could go either way. So the Heat, they, they, they have a greater chance without any of this anyway. With this, though, as you mentioned, I think that their chances go up inordinately. Like, I mean, when you talk about the Brooklyn Nets and you think about the situation that they're in, the playoffs are about being able to do more with less possessions. So when you have two guys who can always go get themselves a bucket, if you can keep the other team from scoring a bucket on one or two of those possessions, then you have a great chance to win. So that, for me really isn't impacted. Having Kyrie would have just been a greater luxury there because you have two of the most lethal players, two of the most lethal scores, and two top 10 guys without him. So you have a chance once you get to the playoffs. Getting there is the part that it really impacts for me because the only thing that could derail Brooklyn is if attrition takes toll before they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. If they can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, they have as good a chance of anybody to win the whole thing because they have the talent they have. Well, if you're beat up, if you're banged up, if you can't put up enough you know, production or get enough wins to make your path as easy as it can be up until that point, that's why I think you'll falter. And this is a situation and I present. Go ahead. I wanted, I wanted to say something. Historically, James Harden, and I'm not here, you know, I don't like to bash players in general. But historically, unfortunately, James Harden has shown that when the going gets tough, he checks out. What? What? Is there a chance that if the going gets really tough in, say, a game six with Brooklyn down 3-2 and things are just not going their way, does Harden once again check out and just leaves it all up to to KD? Because one thing, one thing's for certain. Aside from that Boston, weird Boston season, Kyrie is he he comes to play in the playoffs. He has shown it. He's a gamer. So if I were Brooklyn, I would be a bit worried about that because Harden, I don't know if it's fatigue that sets in. Maybe maybe he'll have more energy this season because he he won't be so ball dominant as he was down in Houston. Not not so much ISO ball. But <laughs> that's still that should still be in their minds. And I wouldn't blame them if, if, you know, people get got a bit of pause on him with him. He's still a great player, one of the greatest scores to, to ever live. But you got to take that into account. I agree, and I think you're hitting on the situation that I'm hitting on, man. If you're the Nets and you can see yourself getting the number one seed, which means you'll be facing a Charlotte, a Hawks, maybe a Knicks team in the first the round. Of, I, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I can't say. No, not in the first round. We've talked about this, bro. Was last year an aberration or were they trending somewhere? 
Do you see what I'm saying? We d- we don't know if that was the Hawks, if they're trending upward, or if last year was the aberration and they're going to struggle to get in the playoffs this year. We don't know that. We talked about that, but I think the roster is still basically intact. They got two key guys back in DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. And Trey Young is that special. He gained a lot of he gained a lot of my respect and, and estimation in the playoffs. Again, is it the aberration or is it who they are, JJ? Can you answer that question for me? We we can't know for certain uh, right uh, now. Again, point blank period. Well, you don't know. They could be the eight seed. That's all I'm saying. I think Trey Young is good enough to get them in. But because we don't know what they are yet, we can't say that they won't be. I'm not saying they won't be. I'm saying we don't know. We know who Jimmy Butler also, is. Very quickly, that team, we know that what Atlanta team is. is a very interesting trade candidate. What, uh, expound yeah, we know, there. We Ex- know who they are, of course. Right, right. Well, I said that to say, not that we don't know who Trey Young is, but we've only seen it once. We have a long line of history with those other guys to be able to say, hey, this. But we have to see it more than once with Trey Young to make sure that last year wasn't the flash in the pan and that last year is who he is and what he plans to do for that Hawks team moving forward. Now, go back to that point you were making. Expound on that. What do you mean they're interested in trade? They're an interesting trade candidate because they got a lot of movable contracts. Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish's deal is coming up as, as is DeAndre Hunter's. Absolutely, and you choose Hunter over Reddish. Exactly. So you got to have you unless ownership wants to pay a massive tax bill. No, no, no. Because you're going to pay Herder and you're going to pay uh Hunter. You got to choose between one of those three. I don't think you do. I think what you do is you find a way and, and I hate to say this, but it's going to happen. You find a way to move Clint and you pay Herder and you pay Hunter. So you play on so you play on a Kongu at the five? If more? you had to. Or 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 are we forgetting about another guy that's still there? John Collins? Ah, aha. Uh-huh. I don't think they move him. I don't think they move him. They, no, 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 no. Unless, you play him unless, at the, you play you play him at the five is what I'm saying. I don't think he is that type of guy. Play the five in the playoffs is really punishing, you know? It is. I agree. So I don't know if they But want to put him in that position. Let me let me ask you this. Would you rather have Hunter on the court or would you rather have Clint Capello on the court? Because that's what you're asking yourself. Because of Bogey course, is Hunter. your three. Bo- right. Because Bogey is going to be your three. Herder's going to be your two. Trey's going to be your one. And Collins is going to be on the floor for you because he's one of your most athletic players and he's one of your most dominant finishers at the rim. So then you ask yourself, do you take Hunter, who's actually a 3-4 kind of guy, and play him, or do you play Capella? And I think you always play Hunter because Hunter can give you something on both sides and across multiple positions where Capella's a rim runner and a shot blocker, and he's not involved on every play. But then you're going to lose elite rim protection and elite rim rolling. Well, you take well dang it, JJ, you can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I mentioned they're a really interesting trade candidate. But once again... I think I'm. I've become a bit of an expert here, even person, even with, when I talk with my friends. We have veered off track. You were, we were talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, absolutely. We were going to get back there. I mean, basically, to, to finish that point, as you had mentioned about James Harden and his performances in the playoffs, sometimes you you can go from a situation where you were going to face the eighth seed 
into a situation where you're now facing one of the teams that you thought you wouldn't face until the second round of the finals. And that inevitably makes your path harder. Ultimately, it provides more of an opportunity for Trisha to set in, for James Harden to, you know, do his James Harden thing that he's traditionally done in the big moments, or for anything else to happen, man. We always talk about he's one size 17,000 foot away from being in the finals last year. Who's to say that something like that doesn't happen again? Who's to say that KD makes it all the way through next season? He doesn't necessarily have the most spotless injury track record over the last couple of seasons either. Anything could happen. Having one less guy, one less guy of Kyrie's elk able to take that pressure off you from many different aspects and angles, that certainly decreases your chances. And it's more about getting to the show to me with that than it is about the actual show. I just know if they ever face the Miami Heat, I think we have the mental edge because that's inevitably going to be a cloud hanging over that team the entire season unless Kyrie decides to do, you know, the the easy and correct choice and and get the and get the shot. I would also dare to say we have the talent edge. Why they have the top two guys far and away? The next seven guys come from Miami. Hmm. And and listen when when the and the playoffs since the rotations get shorter, and no, I understand that some people have concerns with our depth in the regular season because I share That's, some of those concerns. Maybe that'll be a topic for next week because I absolutely don't have an issue with our depth. I think we're as deep, as versatile, and as multiple as we've been in quite some time, my friend. Hmm. So, I think that's that's an interesting way to end the podcast, right? Absolutely. Tease them, why don't you? Yeah. So we got it. We threw you a bit of a teaser there. Starting next week, we're gonna have two episodes every week with the yeah, start yeah. of the regular season. So stay tuned because we'll be rolling around your podcast feed way, way more often than are you we, just we're full used of teasers that they aren't you, JJ? Yeah. So anyway. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a short review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts as it helps our show grow. Please subscribe wherever you listen. It also helps us grow as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. And uh, so, JJ, where can they find you on social media? I was just waiting for that question. I almost thought you weren't going to ask it. But anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at JJ Rivera NBA. That's at JJ R I V S and Victor E R A N B A. And you can follow me on Instagram at HyraRiv98, J A I R O R I V again as in Victor 98. And where can we follow you, my friend? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at K underscore said underscore K Q U E. That's the letter K underscore S A I D said underscore K Q U E. And on Instagram, you can follow me at I am K Sirius. That's I, the word am, the letter K Sirius, C I R R U S. So I am K Sirius on Instagram. And I'm always going to ask you the question, JJ. I just let you get your little spew out first, man. This is a timing thing. We got this. <laughs> Yeah, we absolutely got this. So once again, thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye.